Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to the Morning Motivation Calls. Here we are at Thursday, end of the week. Are we all going to finish strong? Absolutely. I am really excited about today. Today is, um, I don't know, I just got a feeling about today's call. I was pretty pumped driving into the uh, office to get ready and set the computer up. So strap yourselves in, let's get ready and let's rumble. All right, today, when life gives you lemons, what do you do? Make lemonade. What I'm going to discuss and share with you today is some of the lessons that I've learned through life that has enabled me to get where I am today. I guess why I'm so empowered and probably proud of this little session is it, it took me back. It made me go back to where I started and I didn't realize how young I was when I started learning and how you know, without sounding um, conceited and egotistical, I was picking up things from a really young age, but I wasn't conscious of this at a point. But when I look back, it's quite empowering. And I challenge you, you would be no different. You, everyone on this call is evolved. They're ahead of the game. They're leaders in their field and they're there for a reason. So I challenge you, when we get off the call and you get five minutes to yourself, why don't you jump back and have a review of your life and look where you started to pick up lessons. Look where you were headed, ahead of the, the bell curve. And when I was looking back, I cast, uh, I, I want you to come on a journey with me. And so I cast my mind back to when I was at school. And you see, when I was a young man, I was always very athletic um, even from the age of, from what I can recall, was five. So I was playing um, under sevens soccer um, or football, as the Europeans know it, um, when I was five. So I was already playing before my age group was even existed. Um, the other thing that I was known for was that I had a very low center of gravity. All right, I can be really honest with you. The other way of looking at that is I was tiny. I was short. I did not grow. I was just this little tiny guy. Now, you wouldn't assume that if you've met me, seen me or know me um, in, in my current form today is because now I stand at six foot one. I'm 92 kilos of muscle and very, very athletic. Now, I wasn't always that way. I was the kid sitting at the extremity of the front row. So when we took school photos, I was the smallest one. Now, I was the last one to get a run on. Um, but that's okay. I don't need your sympathy because there was one year that I actually made the middle of the front row and that's when I knew I was going places. Eventually, I, I realized that, yep, I'm vertically impaired. And until about grade 11, um, so we've all got different levels of schooling and different systems and whatnot, but that put me at about 17. In the later years, nearly the last year of my schooling, my body decided to kick in and catch up with everyone else. So I was, a, um, by 18, I'd finally started to really grow and quite exponentially very quickly. So in my last year of school, guess what? Now this is where I can get a round of applause. I made the back row. Yeah, okay, I finally made it. We knew I was going places at this point and that was up. And once I'd made the back row, this is where the tall people stood. So yeah, it was a very proud moment for a little guy. Now, I may have been vertically challenged, um, and I was, I guess, blessed with sporting ability. So how, and I guess when I look back, and this is where I started to pick up some lessons, 
my father in his infinite wisdom thought it would be a great idea and would benefit me in some way, not real sure how just yet, but he thought it would benefit me to always play one or two years ahead of my actual physical age. So, okay, we started that at five. So when I was five years old, I was playing under sevens. When I was under 13s, I was playing under 15s or 17s. Um, Now, that was challenging. Um, Yes, I had ability, but I was never comparing apples to apples. I was never running against someone of my own age. I was running against someone that was of older age and had already developed, which I hadn't kicked off that gene yet. It was still sort of laying dormant. So not only was I being pushed and not only was I asked to accelerate and challenge myself and get out of my comfort zone, it honestly, it is... um, I guess my lagging development and lack of height was exposed exponentially. And I was competing against, well, this time guys, I was competing against guys that were like men at the time. I'm pretty sure some of the Samoan boys that I raced, I know that they were shaving from the age of six and one of their legs would dwarf my entire body. Now, as you can imagine, that would have been very challenging for someone, and it was. Now, I was still competitive in that space because I was determined, I was tenacious, and I was resilient. And as much as it was challenging, I knew that I was stretching myself. And because I just got on with the job, I didn't suffer a defeatist mentality. Actually, it went quite the opposite. So let's explore the first lesson that I got. Um, And I started to receive these messages from about eight, eight years old, and certainly all the way through to 17. So the first key element to my success was that I had a strong belief system. This certainly wasn't passed down to me. This is something that I created in my mind. Um, I created for myself. It was a self-belief. And I knew that I could just get onto the line, the starting line of whatever event or whatever sport it was that I was doing. And I knew that there was something special in me. Because people were pushing me into age groups higher than what I was physically meant to run, play, or do at. So I knew that there was something special. And if I went back to my own age group, I knew I'd probably win quite comfortably. So I created a strong belief system. And I knew that I could do things that others could not do. The second key element is that I became resourceful. So I was introduced to coaching very early. And... I was very fortunate to have some really, really good coaches. And these were guys at very good and dealing with elite athletes. Um, so I surrounded myself with more of these great coaches. And then I began to train with elite athletes. And I'm not too sure if anyone on the call re- remembers um, a guy by the name of Darren Clark. He is one of Australia's most noted and, and celebrated athletes. Darren was known for the 400 meters. It is truly a grueling event. It, it is halfway between long distance and sprint, and it's a combination of both. It's too long to um, sprint it and not require oxygen, but it's too short to be all into your um, oxygen system and running properly. So it is a brutal event. Darren would, uh, you know, he was running for Australia at the time. So I would shadow this guy, and I was tiny, so it wasn't hard for me to fit any shadow. but. Darren would go on to represent Australia for over a decade. Um, and I guess the pinnacle of that Darren's career was he competed at the goal. He, he won gold at the 1990 Commonwealth Games. 
So Darren became a bit of a mentor and an idol and certainly someone that I aspired to be like. I watched how he ran. I mimicked his technique. I followed him around the track. When he breathed, I would breathe. When he strode, I would stride. And if he would stretch, I would stretch. And he became a model for me. And I watched someone who was brilliant at what they did, who was the best in the world at what they did, and created a, a system and uh, designed how I would actually do it. So that was another way, is to model someone who's already doing what you want to do. The third key element was skills. Now, because I was small, and certainly um, I was small in, as in vertical height, but not in stature, because I believed that I was playing a bigger game. I was believing that I might be physically small, but I'm playing out of my skin. And I'm playing against people that are higher, older, bigger, stronger than I am, and I'm still beating them. That didn't come through uh, sheer ability. It came through a belief that I stood a chance of winning every single time. And I genuinely believed that I could win until proven otherwise. I still have that mindset. I am going to win whatever it is that I do until proven otherwise. And if I haven't won yet, it just means my time is around the corner. So I'll keep going. So I believed the whole time that my height was not a disadvantage, but I knew it had some physical limitations. So what did I do? I could have rolled over and said, well, I can't do this. I'm, I'm just really small. I'm never going to win. I could quit. And so many people do. But I didn't allow that to take residence in my mind. I would compensate by becoming bigger, stronger, and faster than everyone else. I would play harder than everyone else. I would be stronger than everyone else. I would train more than everyone else. And I would perfect my technique and become technically brilliant and study with professionals so that I could emulate their technique and be the most efficient at whatever it was that I chose to do. I was eight. Now, I don't know how that comes into my mind. I don't know where that comes from. Um, and, and I just look back now, and it's certainly not through the, my lessons of my parents because they weren't that way. Um, and maybe it was from other mentors or the, I aspired to be like these sporting greats and was fortunate enough to be surrounded by them. Maybe that's where it comes from. But as I got older, I became a student of the mind and the body. So I was involved in sports. I decided to study and I studied to become one of the top trainers in Australia. I took my coaching to a level that went to the Commonwealth Games. I worked with elite teams and more than a handful of Australia's best first grade teams in the National League of whatever different sport, which was swimming, uh, rugby league, rugby union, and finally basketball. Now, they're all different sports, and I became an expert in that field. Why did I do that? For very selfish reasons, because I wanted to perfect my own technique, and I realized that once I per perfect mine, I can also help others. I could never ask an athlete to do something that I couldn't do better than them. So I had to be competing at an Olympic level all the time. How cool is that? That's really pushing yourself. That's getting out of your comfort zone. It's not rolling over and going, oh, really? I'd, I'd love your success, Mike. That'd be awesome. But how much hard work do I have to do? That's not the right question. It's like, how do I get there? How do I do what you do? How do I be that person? How do I be that leader in the field? And forget how much hard work you might have to do. It's a joy because you're only improving yourself. And who doesn't want to improve themselves, right? And that's why you're all on these calls. I'm going to push you and challenge you to get out of your comfort zones and be a better person. So not only did I become a student so that I could help others, 
I accelerated my own growth. So let's go back to that sporting um, training analogy. And I learned the discipline. I learned what study and training is required of these greatest athletes. And that led me on to be the greatest athlete for myself and also to coach some of the greatest teams in Australia at a level which is unknown to so many. So in strength training, there's a phenomenon called hypertrophy. You hear most people you know, who've trained for a little while or been in the gym for a little while, they'll understand that hypertrophy is simply the, well, they might not know at this level, but hypertrophy is the volumization of the blood in the belly of the muscle and at a cellular level of the muscle. But I researched and went one further, and most Olympic athletes in certain chosen power sports um, throughout the year will try and replicate a phenomenon called hyperplasia. It's the next level up on hypertrophy, okay? And that's the level I tried to reach. That's the level I aimed for. And that is why my body is where it is today because I've done something really magical to it. So where hypertrophy is the volumization and the filling of blood into the muscle, hyperplasia is the explosion of the muscle cell into two. So where there was once and originally only one cell, you push that cell so far that it splits into two. And where there was one, there is now two. An athlete who can achieve this has a higher number of cells, a larger density, and more muscle cells to call on during exertion. So where you might be working with, as a really poor example, if you're doing a bicep curl, you might have 10 cells in that. Through hyperplasia, I would have probably had 15 to 20. What more could I do? How much more have I grown than you with just your original 10? exponentially more. So what happens there is those once they split, they don't die. With, hyper, with hypertrophy, once they volumize, unless you continue to train that muscle in that specific way for a period of 12 days or more, after the 12th day, it starts to diminish. By 21 days, that volume's gone. Blood flow's moved on. It's gone to the rest of your body to service the organs. And those gains have dissipated. So the ultimate key to success is growth and hyperplasia is the ultimate growth. So what, let's bring this back to you. What are you doing in your life that is just filling time? It is filling your body with just blood, which will dissipate in a period of 12 to 21 days. Or are you actually going out there challenging yourself, asking yourself to be more, be more, do more and have more and creating hyperplasia? hyperplasia in your life? Are you asking your body to split into two and be twice as dynamic, twice as strong, twice as powerful with more ability and resources to call on? Which one are you? Are you just volumizing, which will you'll lose those gains and then you lose momentum and then you lose inspiration and then you lose the ability to push on because you are despondent now and you feel let down and what was once looking good is not, not looking as good now. With hyperplasia, my body will not change now because I've split the cells into two. And you will find most Olympic athletes resemble some form of an athlete for their whole life for that very reason. Why? Because they did the things others weren't willing to do. They did the hard work that no one else was willing to put in. And they pushed themselves to a point of breaking. But then they recovered and they pushed on and went even more. So whatever industry you're in or whatever industry you're looking to get into or moving into or the place that you want to be, explore all the different ways you can grow. Always look for opportunities. 
Look for the opportunities or the gaps that lie within your sector or the thing, your chosen field or your dream or your vision that you're trying to achieve. You, you can imagine, I guess, let's look at Elon, Elon Musk. And he was quoted as saying, so for those of you that don't know, Elon, I've referenced a number of times, he's an amazing entrepreneur, philanthropist, businessman, um, inventor. I often call him, he's the Iron Man of our current time because he's pretty much, doesn't look like Iron Man, but um, he is an inventor and a philanthropist and a, and a very wealthy man. And he's come up with some of the most amazing um, solutions of our time. And he is the owner of Tesla Motors, Space Travel X, PayPal, which we'd all know, and the new invention for him is SolarCity. But Elon actually is quoted and known as, he, has, he says, look, I just look at the world's biggest problems and find a solution for it. So he solves humanity's problems, and this is why he's so wealthy. So what are you doing in your industry? Where are your opportunities or where are your gaps? Like Elon, he just looks for a, a humanity gap. Where is something that I can fill with a solution? What are you doing in your industry or sector that's going to fill a gap? So let's tie it all up, okay, and bring it back to you. Number one, have a strong belief system and know that you can make it happen. Number two, be resourceful. Ask yourself better questions. Platform from one thing to another and leverage off what you already have. There are some God-given talents that lie within you and you're not using them. And that's a crime. Where is the wealthiest place on the planet? The cemetery. Why? Because there's dreams unrealized. And you're taking them, they've been given to you and you're taking them to the grave with you and they will never happen. So stop robbing the world of your gifts and start to shine. Number three, look for areas to grow in. Surround yourself with great coaches, mentors, and those who are doing what you are aspiring to become. Ask yourself, where can you perform at levels of hyperplasia in every area of your life? And remember, how you do anything is how you do everything. I drum this into my kids. Now I can say, Xavi, how you, and he will finish the sentence for me. And I ask him in every area of his life where he may stumble or fall, is he doing something that is replicating every other area of his life? Is he lazy in one area? He'll be lazy in them all. Is he not willing to do the hard work in one area? Then he's going to not do the work in the rest of them. Remember, how you do anything is how you do everything. Number four, self-awareness. Know your strengths and know your values. Be real with who you are and always be congruent with who you are. Number five is contribution. Give more to get more. The great Zig Ziglar quote, which says, you have everything in life you want. If you will just help, sorry, you will have everything in life you want. If you will just help enough other people to get what they want. I'll say it again. You have everything in life you want. If you will just help enough other people to get what they want. So give more to get more. On that final point of contribution, if you want to increase your level of happiness, if you're not feeling great, if you're having one of those days where you, you're just not on fire and you want to increase that level of happiness, simply give. Now, it may be as simple as a text message that you send out to five people. Imagine this. You're sitting on the lounge. You, you're doing it tough. You're thinking, oh, I'm having a really bad day today. I'm just not motivated or such and such has got me down or a whole myriad of things has got me down. I challenge you to jump on the phone and send five personalized text messages to the people dearest and nearest to you 
and tell them how much they, you love them, how important they are and integral they are into your life and what difference they make and you're so grateful for having them in your life. You cannot be in a negative state to think of those positive things about those positive people. So what is it going to do? It's going to move you off your butt and out of that negative state into a positive state simply by giving someone a gift. Pretty simple, right? It'll cost you, well, I don't even, text messages are free these days, so it'll cost you nothing. It will cost you nothing to give. And even if they don't reply, you will feel better. You will feel great because you have done something wonderful and you've got yourself out of negative state by making a positive state. You shifted your state so simply. The real kicker is if maybe you get a response back and they're overwhelmed with your love, bonus time. And we all know what that feels like. Who doesn't like to feel the warmth of someone saying, oh my God, that is amazing. Thank you so much. So you may be asking, how can I help people? What can I give? Maybe I'm broke. Maybe I'm this or that. There's a lot of excuses coming up. Giving is often related to three things, time, energy, or money. Okay, It doesn't have to always be money. Maybe you can just go and serve at a soup kitchen. Maybe you can give someone some positive energy. That's all giving. So have you ever, ever noticed that a lot of my teachings and lessons are conveyed in the story form? I do this for a very good reason. Because this is how we learn best. We learn from others' experiences. It's how our forefathers taught the next generation and their generation and the ones after that and every generation therein coming through, through storytelling. It was a great tradi tradition within the Apache Indians. They would sit around a campfire and they would talk about stories and wars and hardships and trials that they went through. These are all great lessons. This is how we learn. Many of the tribal nations were the same and all the nations that have gone before us. Become an excellent storyteller. Each and every single one of you has a brilliant story to tell. And I'm sure your trials and tribulations that you've gone through and endured in life, and we've all lived a little bit, so we've, I reckon we've all got a few, right? They will benefit someone greatly. Maybe that person is, gonna go, is going through that scenario right now. Maybe they're having a tough time. Maybe they're just feeling a little bit down. Or maybe they're in the, the brink of it right there and then. Can you imagine by sharing your experiences and lessons with someone, how much of a gift that is to them because they don't feel alone or they know that someone's gone there before them? And what is it? It's possible that they can come out the other side. So become a great storyteller. Don't let your setbacks go to waste. Okay, put them to good use. I wouldn't be where I am today if it were not for, if it were not for my setbacks. It is... Now my mission to use those setbacks to accelerate the lives of others that I work with. So by saving them the headaches and the setbacks that I endured, they will go further faster. So look at your life, see where you have learned some great lessons and share them. There is a story waiting to be told in each, inside each and every single one of you. Don't let it go to waste. Guys, have an awesome day. It's Thursday. Knock it out. Finish the week strong. Believe in your potential. Now get out there and make it happen. Have a great day.